good morning, everybody. I am thrilled to see each and every one of you here. And good morning to our uh, viewers on Facebook and on YouTube. It is a pleasure to see you here. I want to say hi to my family. I want to say hi to the Ronzavals, who I believe are watching from uh, Oklahoma, I think, today. Hope your vacation is going very, very well. So I woke up this morning and I said to myself, (laughs) what a great day to worship the Lord. Let's stand together and let's do that, everybody. going with the drums. There we go. I had asked Daniel during rehearsal if he could start with the drums. And what happens? I go ahead and start playing guitar and totally forgot what I asked him to do. But that's why we have grace, right? Let's do this right. There we go. One, two, three. There were walls. Let's sing, church. Come on now. 
Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. to that and coffee helps too so uh you know it's been a little while since we've done this next song and i wanted to uh kind of bring you back because i've been thinking about it a lot this week and this song is called monuments and it refers to the old testament practice of of building a stone mound essentially as evidence of god's faithfulness and i think that rehearsing and remembering God's faithfulness, you know, looking back on those moments is a healthy way, a healthy thing for us to to, to do for our heart and for our faith, because it enables us to say, you know what? God was with us. God provided. God came through, you know, in that miracle of provision or healing. God was with us. And so I pray that this song encourages you to regularly reflect on and rehearse God's faithfulness. This is called Monuments. Of your goodness, we're lost, been found, and broken hearts were healed. We know we felt the power of your presence when mountains fell and every wave was still. One look at what you've done is a glimpse of what's to come. Every miracle, every step of faith, every victory rises up to say, we are the monuments of your, of your faithfulness. And what life? What life, what death could ever separate us? The blood you shed will always be enough. One look at what you've done, oh yeah. It's a glimpse of what you come. Every miracle, every step of faith, every victory. Rises up to say, we are the monuments, oh yes we are, 
of your faithfulness. Every captive soul that has been set free stands and testifies we have been redeemed. We are the monument of your faithfulness. God, you are faithful. And these monuments, these monuments of what you've done, these monuments of your great love, every war that you have won is just a glimpse of what's to come. These monuments of what you've done, yeah, these monuments. Your great love, every war that you have won, is just a glimpse of what's to come. Oh, yes it is. Every miracle, every miracle, every step of faith, every victory, Rises up to say, we are the monument of your faithfulness. Every captive soul that has been set free, that been testified, we have been redeemed. We are the monument of your faithfulness. It is so important to rehearse God's faithfulness. And, you know, we are going to encounter trials and difficulties. Does anyone want to contest that statement? No? Okay, good. You know, and in response, we can allow ourselves to be overcome with stress and anxiety, or we can choose to trust God. The Bible says in Psalm 83 that he is the most high over all the earth. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3 that God is able to do abundantly and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine, exceedingly abundantly. So I want to encourage you today and invite you to trust in him, to trust in the faithful one who knows exactly what is best for you and me. I didn't say what's easiest. I said what is best for you and me. This is called belief for it. They say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard that. 
there is no way through. We've heard the tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. God move. God we immovable. Break the unbreakable. God we believe. Yes we do. God we believe for it. From the God, we believe for it. God, we believe for it. And we know, we know that hope is never lost. Oh, for there is still a God, we believe no matter what, there is power in your name, so much power in your name. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable, God, we believe we do. God, we believe for it from the impossible. We'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe. Move the immovable. Move the immovable. Break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. Yeah. God, we believe for it. You are the way, Lord. You are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. Yes, you do. We are the way when there seems to be no way. We trust in you, God, you have the final say. Oh, move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe, God, we believe. One more time, move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe. For it from the impossible, we'll see a miracle. We'll see a miracle. Yeah, God, we believe. God, we believe. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. 
Let's take a moment to pray, Lord, everyone. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much, um, you know, as we rehearse it and as we look back over our lives, whether we realized it at the time or not, Lord, we know that you were working in us and you were working through us and you were using the circumstances that we found ourselves in to draw us to yourself and to help us become more like Jesus. And so we ask that you would continue to do that. We ask that you would continue to move the immovable. And break the chains. And show us your leadership and your presence. And help us to be willing partners in you wanting to do that in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we continue our worship uh, through music, we have one more song to do together. But I'd like to ask you right now to take a moment to greet the folks around you just for a couple of moments, and we will continue back in just a second. Folks, let's make our way back to our seats here. Um, I just want to—I kind of want to confess something to you, real quick. When I was praying there after that last song, I, my mind started to drift a little bit. To be honest with you, uh, this whole issue of reflection. And rehearsing God's faithfulness has kind of been on my mind a lot this past week. It's one of the reasons that I picked that song, one of the reasons that I picked Monuments, and one of the reasons I picked this next song, What He's Done. 
And the reason that I say that is because, and, and, I, and I bring this up only to give glory to God, but this past week was the 18-month checkup with Stanford for my bone marrow transplant. And I just want to give glory to God for that because, um, A, I was here to be able to go to it. B, because all of my numbers are looking really good still. And C, because yesterday, we didn't get to attend it yesterday, but yesterday was <clears throat> a reunion at Stanford for for all of the transplant recipients. And uh, we, like I said, we didn't get to go, but I, I know um, that everyone that was there is because, whether they realize it or not, is because of, yes, incredible, amazing, miraculous medical care, but also because of God's faithfulness. And I want to share something really quick. I'm kind of going off script here. But I remember in when I was in the hospital and was starting the whole process, one of the things that the nurses there repeated to me more than once was we're going to get you through this we're going to get you through this and they knew what they were talking about because they'd been doing it for almost 30 years and so they could say with authority and with experience we're going to get you through this and I want to um, parallel that to the fact that um Whatever you walked in here this morning with that's heavy on your heart, whatever mountain you feel like is immovable, whatever trial or difficulty you're encountering at this at this moment that is uh, got you preoccupied, preoccupied or concerned with, I just want to say to you that God is going to get you through this, whatever that is. Um, Whatever that looks like, God is going to get you through it. Um, so, again, kind of off script, but I just wanted to to share that with you. And I want to invite you to stand right now as we sing this next song. As we sing about the choice that Jesus made not to let the cup pass before him but the choice he made instead to do the will of his Father, which was to go to the cross for you and me and to raise from the dead three days later and secure a place in heaven for all of eternity for each and every one of us. What he's done is worthy of so much worship. See, on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give Him life, grace flowing by His side, no greater sacrifice. What He's done. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor, 
everybody. Well, it is my honor and privilege to welcome back to SVC once again, Pastor Dave Gudgel. Will you give him a, a round of applause, please? Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, everyone. It's sure good to be back again with you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not planning to come back anytime soon, but it's a joy to come anytime I can. So my honor to be with you. I thought after last week's message where we talked about encouragement, the three times that I've been here, we talked about the whole matter of reaching out to others, uh, sharing Christ, the gospel with people 
all around us. And I hope that you found that September was an encouragement to you along those lines as we focused on loving our neighbor. And I trust there were some great things that happened in some neighbor relationships. And then last uh, week, we talked about encouragement. There was obviously a gap between that first message and last week. Uh, But I trust that you'll get something in the future uh, benefit-wise from what we talked about last week. I hope that uh, you find that others are going to be more encouraging toward you, <laughs> and you might be more encouraging toward others. And, uh, you know, the encouragement thing going both ways would be wonderful, wouldn't it? So after last week, I just thought as I was thinking about, you know, the world that we're living in right now and some of the circumstances that we are faced with, that it would be good to focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there with us this morning. I didn't give you the whole passage in that message note sheet. just gave you some space probably more than anything else to write. And I I hope you'll uh, jot down a few notes as we share together and talking through this subject. But there are a lot of reasons right now people can be discouraged, or we might call it lose heart, Uh, especially if you're a sports fan. This is that time of year where in baseball, you know, a lot of people have already put away the jersey that they wore all year thinking our team's going to get it together this year and we're going to make the playoffs. And now that they haven't made the playoffs, they've pretty much lost heart and said, well, maybe next year, you know, and we'll get around to it again. If you're a Giants fan, then I feel for you right now. I don't even know if I should be a Giants fan or not right now. But anyway, you know, I'm finicky along those lines. I know that's not true fan lifestyle and so forth and so on. But there's so many things that could cause us to lose heart. If you're out of a job, if you've been looking for a job for a while, you could get to the point where you say, I just don't know if this is ever going to work out again. If uh, you're single and you've been wanting to get married your whole life, and you're getting older, and you're saying to yourself, I don't know that this is ever going to work out. You can easily lose heart. And and even if your personal life is going great with what's happening in the country, what's happening in the world right now, whether it's the pandemic or it's politics or it's social issues, there are just a lot of reasons you can lose heart. You just go down the street, get some gas, and lose heart right now. And you know what I'm talking about. I went over gas station. I'm... Talk about a lot of different kind of gas right now. But, I mean, I went to the gas station yesterday and got some gas for the car, and I was shocked. I had no idea it had gone up that much in a week. So there are a lot of reasons why a person could lose heart, and uh, we can understand that. And as you look at the Scriptures, this is something that people biblically, you know, in biblical times struggled with. Just because they had a relationship with God didn't mean that, Life is just going to work out, even as we already heard Matt suggest this morning. You may be familiar with Rahab's story. I'm talking about the Rahab who lived in the time of the commander Joshua's time, you know, when they were getting ready to come into the promised land and they had sent two spies into the land uh, to check it out before the whole tribe marched in. But in speaking to these two spies, Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 Don't bother to turn, I'll show this to you on the screen. But Joshua 2, verses 9 to 11, uh, she said, I know, speaking to these two spies, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country 
are melting in fear because of you. And, you know, when you first read that, all who are living in this country, they, they had their own things that they were faced with. And this obviously was on their minds because they saw Israel coming. So there are a lot of things that are on our minds right now in our country. So there are a number of things that could cause a person to melt in fear. Uh, verse 10, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What Rahab is saying is that the inhabitants of the promised land had lost heart, and thereby, having lost heart, they lost courage. Their hearts melted. So this description in the Old Testament of a, lo- a heart that is, you know, down, is discouraged, sometimes it's referred to as a heart that has melted. And the, child- the children of Israel coming into the promised land was enough from the occupants of the land to say we're done now they could have you know they could have had a different reaction they could have taken heart but instead they lost heart because they didn't think what god was about to do is going to be something better than what they already have not everybody saw it the same way that god saw things and so it caused them to lose heart and when that happens, it could result in a number of feelings. You could feel, even right now, discouraged. You could feel depressed, sad, lethargic, weary, scared, stressed out, pessimistic, worried. I mean, there are a lot of feelings that a person could have that describe a heart that's in depression or whatever you want to call it, in the dumps, the pits. Uh, Psalm 22, David is in a situation like that. He spoke about... In Psalm 22, verse 12, he spoke about the roaring lions, and he talked about the strong bulls that despised and scorned and mocked and insulted him, verses 12 and 13. And when he's describing what sounds like animals, they aren't animals. These are humans he's talking about. And how does it specifically make him feel? Well, Psalm 22:14, he describes it. He says, I am poured out like water. Basically, I've got nothing left. I'm empty. Maybe you can identify with that. All my bones are out of joint. I mean, one bone out of joint. If you ever had that happen, my wife had that happen a little over a year ago. It was awful, painful. But can you imagine all your bones being dislocated? So David is saying, this is what I feel like. This is terrible. And then he says this, my heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. So there it is again. David has lost heart. He's hurting, and he is thinking about what he's going to do. I mean, it would be very easy for him in this moment to just sort of shut off his relationship with God and other people and just, you know, quit life. And I think about that. I think about flight attendant Stephen Slater and what he did 12 years ago, you may remember this, he quit his job while on a jet blue shift at JFK International Airport. And he quit because a passenger treated him rudely. For Slater, it was the last straw. He got on the plane's PA system, cursed at the passenger, and then said, that's it, I've had it, I'm done. And then he took two beers from the beverage cart 
He deployed the emergency exit slide. He slid out of the plane, and he slid into history. You may remember this. And overnight, Stephen Slater became an instant celebrity, kind of a, a full hero for every stressed out and overworked American who has thought about doing the same thing. And we were all like, all on board. Yes, that's what I want to do. Well, I'm glad when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the Apostle Paul didn't choose that, that direction to take. That he didn't choose that option because all that Paul had been through, and this is so important, I think, for us to consider right now, because of all that people are going through, what you're going through, what is happening in our country, in our world, what has happened even in churches. I'm working with a lot of pastors right now that these are difficult days. They really are. And I've seen a lot of churches Losing heart. And I guess in part, of the, part of the reason why I just felt like it might be good to talk about this this morning is because it's possible that even you as a church right now could lose heart. Well, with Paul, all that Paul had gone through, he could have easily just made an announcement. You know, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done helping nice people. I'm done helping mean people. They all seem to come to the church. I can't take it anymore, he could have said. He could have said five beatings. That's enough. I'm not going to take another beating. I've been stoned enough times. Three times is three too many times to be stoned. I'm out of here. As far as shipwrecks go, I'm done with cruising to the next city to preach the gospel. I don't want to go through another night and day and the wind blowing sea wondering if this is where it's all going to end for me. He could have lost heart, and he could have quit, but he didn't. In fact, he was able to say, and maybe you've already looked at it here in Second Corinthians chapter 4, in the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he's able to say, verse 1, we, and in saying we, he's talking about not only himself, but he's talking about his traveling companions, who are Silas and Timothy, we do not lose heart. And that's an amazing statement. After all he's been through, we do not lose heart. We don't. And then, in case you miss it, in case they missed it, a few verses later, a few sentences later, verse 16, he says it again. We do not lose heart. Now, with all the incredible stuff that Paul had been through, it would have been easy for him to have lost heart, just like it can be easy for us to lose heart, especially after the stuff that's been a part of our world in the last couple of years. Now, do you know why Paul did not lose heart? That's of interest to us this morning. So why? Why didn't he and Silas and Timothy just cash it in, lose heart? And what I see here are three, I'll call them heart protectors. Or you could call them something else. You could call them, uh, if you want, safeguards. But these three heart protectors are truth, treasure, and eternity. Truth comes into focus in verses 1 to 6 and verse 13. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. I mean, we would not be doing this if it wasn't for the mercy of God that brought us into his family. Through God's mercy, we have this ministry. Since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, 
We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor did we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then just to add verse 13 here, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, the first thing that Paul says about he himself and his traveling companions is that they could have lost heart, but they did not lose heart because of the truth of God's word. And you can see that it's just kind of woven through these verses here. This truth that he and his ministry partners have believed and believed in the same way that the writer of Psalm 116 believes. So he quotes Psalm 16 in verse 13, where he says what the person who wrote the psalm said, that they believed God's truth and taught it. Well, in the same way, Paul picks up that phrase, that absolute wonderful fact, that he and his comrades in ministry were hanging on to the truth of God. And that strong grip on the truth of God kept them from falling prey to the opinions and the teachings of the day that would have been a detriment rather than to their development. And so he specifically gets at what's happening in their culture. And quite frankly, you could see this right now in our culture. They could have been done in by teachers in that day that had twisted, or the word distorted is used, twisted God's truth rather than, could we say what Matt said earlier, rather than trusted God's truth? We could twist God's truth to make it say something that we want it to say. In fact, that's something that's been going on since the Garden of Eden When the serpent twisted what God said, he used it to create deception and to distort God's word. And in the same way, that same thing was happening in Paul's day, and it continues to happen even in our day. I don't know if you noticed a lot of press this week with regard to some billboards that have been put up that quote Scripture and thereby are justifying abortion. By talking about love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is a hot button right now in our culture. It's another way to twist scripture and to make it say whatever it is that you want it to say. And in this case, back in that culture, what was being said was a cover up. It was a secret and shameful way to get people to believe what they thought should be the way people would take. So you get the sense, even today, that there's constant deceit when it comes to straightforward, plain truth that Paul talks about here and a a willingness even to teach it, a willingness to stand on it, a a willingness to um, 
live underneath the truth instead of above the truth. Many years ago, I heard Evie Hill, uh, Evie Hill, pastor in Los Angeles, California, say, we need to trust the truth. We need to trust it, not adjust it. And I think that that often is so true, even in our day, where we've gotten to the point now when people say something, we're not even sure what to think anymore. We're not even sure if we should believe it anymore. We've kind of come to the point now where we say, well, I'll just wait around for a few weeks or months or years, and we'll see if that's actually the truth. Or is somebody going to come back and say, well, you know, we lied to you, or whatever it might be. But the point is this. Paul and his partners took a different approach. They taught the word of truth. They taught it plainly, verse 2. They were straightforward about the truth. They were straightforward about the consequences of the truth. They cared about, verse 3, those who are perishing. They cared about those, verse 4, who are unable to see the light of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, because their eyes had been blinded, verse 4, by the God of this world. Who's that? That's Satan. Satan is doing his absolute best job to blind people of the truth and keep from them the light of life and continue to keep them in darkness. And Paul and Timothy saw right through that. And so they, as verse 5, servants or couriers of truth. I like that thought. That a Christ follower is a courier of truth. The job here is to get the bread of life on the table without messing it up. It's to give it to people who are in need, desperately in need. We're all in need. It's to shine the light of the gospel in the midst of this dark world. And for us to do that, we can't stop teaching the truth. We must teach the truth and invite people to come to Jesus Christ and be saved because Jesus is the way and the what? And the truth and the, and the life. And they believe that and they taught that. And so here's Paul in a world where people are perverting the truth where he could have and his partners could have deviated from the truth because people didn't want to hear it, because they were already perverting it. Paul instead stands on the truth and he stands on the light. And I get the feeling as you read these words that part of what was in him was this passion and empathy to see people who, like himself, who had jealously and religiously persecuted the church and and would not in any way embrace the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, he had a dramatic, as we mentioned last week, he had a dramatic change. He had a dramatic encounter with Jesus that totally changed it for him so that in speaking now about the light, he had a light come on, a light that showed him the true light. And after that, he went from persecuting Christians to preaching the truth about Jesus Christ. And he came to believe that truth and practice it and preach it to others. So here's here's what I want to say. Boy, I tell you, if there was ever a day that we need to stand on truth and we need to talk about truth, today's the day. It really is. If we don't do that, we will lose heart. We truly will. 
And it is a time, especially right now, when it seems like one report after another can cause you to lose heart, that we all the more need to stand on the truth of God's word, don't we? I mean, I sense that obviously in publicly with all the challenges that are coming our way, whatever they might be, and with all the challenges that are coming now into the church where there's such a huge change, churches have been radically impacted by what's happened the past two years. And churches are trying to sort this out and figure out where to find their direction, their compass, if you will. And that compass, that true north is still the truth, right? It still is Jesus Christ. And we still have the privilege of bringing the truth of life to people. And we never want to compromise that. We don't want to stop doing that. We want to see that for everything that it is. It's an absolute delight to share the word of Christ in whatever way that we can get it out. We want to continue to do that. When I was uh, a couple of years ago, it feels like now, it's been about a year and a half, I was helping out Millbrae Bible Church. They were between pastors, so just across the bay over there, and I was a transitional interim pastor with them. We started on Zoom, so it was really easy because we were living in Merced. And so we didn't go see them in person much. And then they, you know, we got off Zoom and I started making the drive over there and stuff. And I really got to know many of the people because of that time that I had with them over there. But one of the guys that was making the most of COVID I mean, we were all living under lockdown and all the masking and everything else. There was so much a part of it in, you know, huge ways at that time. And so neighbors weren't with neighbors and all of that. But Doug, one of the individuals in the church, Doug, who has such a passion and still does to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help them understand the truth, uh, found a way to build new relationships in his neighborhood. And walk with his neighbors. When all the rest of us were hiding, he's finding a way. This guy's 80-something. And he's finding a way to build relationships. And he said to me, he wrote me a letter about this. He said, Dave, I met a guy named John. He lives three houses down. Didn't know him. Which is typical, right? And I also met a, a woman named Sue. She lives a block away. And we started walking together on a regular basis. And he said, and as we started walking, I thought I would just share with him my devotional. So he just happened to have it in his pocket, a daily bread. Now, you guys are probably familiar with the daily bread, right? And so this is one of his devotionals. And so he thought, well, maybe these people, my new friends, will be interested in this daily devotional. So whenever they would walk, he'd pull out his devotional and say, hey, would you like to hear the devotion for today? They said, sure, why not? These are unbelievers. And he risked it to share the truth. So he shared the truth with them. And you know what came out of it? After several months in there, two, three months, I guess it was, there was a day where one of the uh, focuses was on salvation in Jesus Christ. And at the end of their walk, he said to them, is there any reason in your life that you wouldn't receive Jesus right now? That's kind of one of those questions, you know, that uh, if you've ever gone through an evangelism training that you kind of keep in mind that maybe there will be a day where I might be able to 
use this question? Well, he asked that question. And you know what happened? Both of them received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I thought, way to go, Doug. Doug's still out there finding a way in the midst of a culture that's on lockdown and everything else, and he's still finding a way to get the gospel, the truth, out to people. I think that we need to do that, don't you? I think we need to find new ways to do that right now because a lot of us are living in fear. And I really believe that we need to connect in new ways. And one of the things we absolutely must do is we must hold on to the truth of the Word of God and not let this culture in any way cause us to deviate from our openness and willingness to talk about the true truth. We find in the Scriptures. They didn't lose heart because they stood on the truth. Secondly, treasure. Paul also wrote about a -a one-of-a-kind treasure that kept them from losing heart. Notice this, verse 7, that we have this treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is an interesting perspective, isn't it? I mean, here's a guy who's willing to be crucified with Christ, who's denying himself daily and taking up the cross daily. And experiencing the consequences for his willingness to represent Jesus Christ as a committed follower. But the second safeguard that he specifically refers to here is the treasure, which is the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit. Verse 7, it is the all-surpassing power that is from God. It's not their power that is keeping them from losing heart. But it is God's power. It is the Holy Spirit. And this all-surpassing power was alive in them. In fact, if, if you look back at uh, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in the first chapter, he makes this point. He says, now it is God who makes both of us, both of us and you stand firm in Christ. So now he's talking either specifically about Silas or Timothy. But both of us, it's God who makes us stand firm. And how does he make us stand firm? He anointed us. That's a fantastic word. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, that word anointed is a loaded term. It really is. If you go back to Exodus and the first time that Aaron and his sons were anointed, they were anointed. Exodus chapter 30, go read it sometime. They were anointed with about five to six gallons of anointing oil. 
So that when you read Psalm 133 and you read about this oil that's dripping down this guy's beard. Do you remember this? And it's getting all over the robes and all of that. Oh, yeah. We're not talking about a little dab of oil will do you. We're talking about a dumpster of oil. I mean, if you think of it this way, think of it as one of those Gatorade buckets poured out on the coach, the winning coach at the end of the game. We're talking about a five to six gallon amount of oil that was anointed on those who needed to be anointed for the priestly work that God had called them to. So translate that into this picture here in Second Corinthians chapter one, where God set his ownership on us he, by anointing us. And he didn't put this little dab of oil on us. He poured it out. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about what's going to happen in the last days and how the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, poured out on God's people. Now, the question is whether or not when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, the question is whether or not we are operating in the fullness of the Spirit or are we operating in the flesh? And so with that, that whole concept there is now as you're thinking a little bit more about what in the world's going on here, Paul is talking about the anointing of the Spirit of God that is enabling them to live this life of hardship with courage and wisdom and love and faith and strength and power and and all of the rest of that. And had it not been for the Holy Spirit, they, they would have never made it. When they were, verses 8 and 9, when they were hard-pressed, you feel hard-pressed at times right now? When they were perplexed, when they were persecuted, when they were struck down, they could have lost heart when their bodies were scarred and marked by instruments of torture that were inflicted on them, verse 10. But that didn't happen. Why? Because God's all-surpassing power kept them from being crushed and consumed by despair, verse 8, or feeling abandoned, verse 9, or destroyed, verse 9. And God's all-surpassing power gave them new courage and strength and perspective to carry on the work of the gospel in their Christ-like, wounded, and scarred bodies, verse 10, that just testified to their love of Christ that they wouldn't back off, that they were going to continue to proclaim Christ, Their love for God gave them the strength to sacrifice their bodies in order to get the message of the gospel out so that others might experience the fullness of the life that would come through Jesus Christ, verses 11 and 12. Now, I call that a pretty incredible perspective on Paul's part when it comes to his view of suffering. He's not thinking of suffering the same way that oftentimes we think of suffering, where when suffering comes into our life, our first response is thanks, but no thanks. No peers, no peers, no pain, no tears. That was a combination. No pain, no tears, and no death. I mean, we ask God to remove the pain, but at the same time, we recognize the fact that Jesus in his humanness said, Father, let this cup pass from me. So he asked for God to remove the pain as well. But he also immediately followed that prayer with, but your will 
not mine be done, which is to say Jesus was willing to give up his life so that through his life others might gain life. And you say, how then did Jesus in his humanness do that? He did that the same way the Apostle Paul learned to minister in a time of trial. He did that through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who came on Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Do you remember this? And it's in the Holy Spirit's fullness came on Jesus and Jesus continued to operate in the Holy Spirit. In fact, Hebrews 9 14 tells us that Jesus was empowered in his flesh by the Holy Spirit to do what he did. And even in this garden moment where he is not wanting to face the cross, God, even at that moment, sent an angel from heaven who also strengthened Jesus. Luke 22:43, which is to say that even Jesus in his humanness needed strength beyond his humanness. In fact, Jesus even said to his followers just before he left, he said, now, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem, which is odd because he's just told them, now I want you to go (laughs) and I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But in Acts chapter one and verse four, he now says, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. Why? Because I want you to wait. Why? What does he want them to wait for? He wants them to wait for what? The Holy Spirit. He wants them to wait for the gift that the fathers promised. Acts chapter four, one verse four, which you, he said, heard me speak about for John baptized with water. Verse five. But in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, guys, I know I told you to go, but before you go, you're going to need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you to permanently live within you, because then you're going to be ready to go into the world with an all surpassing power and do what it is I want you to do. And what I want you to do is I want you as my followers to have Christ like impact throughout the world. And if you try to go do this in your jars of clay, now we're back to Paul. If you try to go do this through your jars of clay, that is your humanness, you're going to fail. And so you need to wait until you are full of the Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In all fullness, and then you need to live in the empowerment of God's Spirit because fragile jars of clay will crack or fall apart or lose heart. So why did Paul not lose heart? Well, because he was living in the Spirit, as was his comrades. And by the way, As they lived in the spirit, there were flaws and there were weaknesses and there were chips. That was all part of it. This was all part of a jar of clay. That's okay. Because God can take weak, broken jars of clay and use them through the power of the spirit. So if any one of us tries to do this in our flesh, we're going to fail. Having begun by the Spirit, Paul said, do you think you're going to now be perfected by the flesh? 
it's not going to happen. We're going to need to do what Paul learned to do, to learn to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to not grieve the Spirit, to not quench the Spirit. How do you quench the Spirit? Well, you just shut the Spirit out. I think I'll do this my way. If you've lost heart, it could be an indicator that your primary power source is your flesh and not the Spirit. You know, I've learned that if I try to operate my laptop computer on battery only, I'm not going to get very far. I might get two or three hours. But if this thing is going to continue to work for me, I've got to plug it into the wall. I need a better power source than my batteries. I think that applies to us as well. We're going to get through this. We're going to continue to be people who have impact, people who don't quit, people who carry out the work that God has for us to do. And this is a great work, isn't it? What a great privilege we have. This isn't a work that we want to walk away from. This is a work that we want to give our hearts completely to. New ways. We're not going to lose heart. We've got to stand on the truth. We've got to rely on God's Spirit. Thirdly, we need to keep eternity in focus. Now watch what happens here in 2 Corinthians 4, the last part. It says in verse 13, the last part, With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will... I want you just to notice something as I read this. Because we know... Okay, that no is a word of certainty. It's a word of conviction. He's saying we really know this. And we believe this. It's, it's a word of belief here. Okay, conviction. So let this text speak to you from that perspective. As I read this, think, do I come anywhere close to the conviction and certainty that Paul has about eternity? Now, with that in mind, listen, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Wouldn't that be great if more and more people through our lives and our ministry came to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and there was a greater choir of thanksgiving that joined together in honoring the Lord? Well, in light of that, he says, verse 16, Therefore... In light of all of this, of what we know and we're certain of, therefore we don't lose heart. We do not lose heart, though outwardly. <laughs> and now he's like going to say again, we really should. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Did you figure that out yet? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Have you noticed that you're not as young as you used to be? That's what he's saying. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
What's this third factor that he's focusing on? It's eternity. They fixated, and if you don't like the word fixated, use the word focus, but he uses the word fix. So they fixated on eternal glory. They fixed their eyes on the eternal. Now, he could have fixated his eyes on the temporal, which is oftentimes where we are fixated, right? The temporal. Can't get that stupid faucet to work. Oh, man, this is going to be a bad day in America, you know, kind of thing. But if you focus on the temporal, you're probably going to lose heart. But he says here, but you got to get your focus as they did on the eternal. The eternal keeps us from losing heart. That makes sense. Because the eternal is that which focuses on the one who raised from the dead. And the one who plans to raise Christ's followers from the dead. And not only that. We are benefactors of God's grace, he says in verse 15. And as a result of his grace, there are going to be more and more people. They're going to come together, as I already suggested, someday for this amazing reunion with Jesus in the heavens. I mean, do you like reunions? A couple of weeks from now, I'm going to go to a 50-year high school reunion. I know, I only look like I was born yesterday, but I wasn't. 50 years. In fact, it got postponed a year, so it's going to actually be 51 years. And I'm really sort of, I think, excited about this to see, you know, if I can remember anybody's name, for one, I think. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to go, but it should be fun, I hope. But I know this. There's one, a reunion that's coming that's going to Fill us with excitement. It should fill us with excitement right now. And it's this gathering of all of God's people, God's children through Jesus Christ. And when you think about that, Paul's talking about, and so we don't lose heart. Are you kidding? How can we lose heart when we have that to look forward to, to eternal glory? That could give us every day new hope. And then... He contrasts this, this hope that we have by focusing on what's happening in our bodies right now, what's happening on the outside, because the older we get, the harder it may be to have hope, especially when we look at ourselves and we say, this is this is not looking good. I don't know where this is going, but it's it's not looking good right now. And Paul says that, you know, the way you curtail that. That problem is you stop looking at the outward and you start looking at the inward. You see the unseen. And you say to yourself, yep, not looking too good on the outside or whatever it is you say when you look in the mirror. But hey, listen, inwardly, I'm looking good. I'm really looking good because every day I'm being renewed by God day by day. Inside, I'm a 20 or 30-year-old something or whatever, you know, that age is that it's going to ultimately be. I have no idea. But do you ever think about that when you stare at yourself in the mirror? Instead of looking at that other gray hair that just popped up or the other hair that left, instead of looking at that, instead saying, and God's changing me from the inside out. And he's making me a new person. In fact, I love 2 Corinthians 3.18, the last verse in 
previous chapter, and we who unveiled with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness and his ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hard to remember that, isn't it? Especially when things are falling apart in our bodies or things are falling apart in our world. And so Paul is fixed not on the temporal, but he's fixed on the eternal. In fact, even in his troubles, verse 17, he talks about these present troubles as light. How do you call present troubles light? Easy to bear is the idea. And he calls them momentary. How do you call them momentary? Well, because eventually they're going to be gone. And so he talks about, verse 17, an eternal weight of glory. You ever heard that term before? That's a C.S. Lewis term. Those are one of those terms that makes you think, wow, what does that mean? He's talking about eternal glory and how there's going to be this day for Christ followers who suffer in this life because of their beliefs, because of their practices, just because of sin in the world. And as painful as all of this is, the wonderful realization is that there is coming proportionately greater to any sacrifice we make an eternal glory. And this eternal glory is going to far outweigh anything that we have ever been through. And so Paul says, so it's because of that that we fix our eyes, not on what we can see, but on what is unseen. Because what we see is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. And what is unseen is eternal glory. How do we keep bringing that to mind? May I give you two final thoughts? Well, one, pray. Pray. Let's not stop praying. Prayers have a way of getting us off the temporal and onto the eternal, don't they? In fact, Jesus said, Luke 18, 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not what? And not lose heart. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. And secondly, not only do we need to be constantly in prayer, praying without ceasing, but we need to constantly be focusing on Jesus, on the one who did not lose heart, on the one who made it possible for Paul to not lose heart. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. There's that fix again. Fixate. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, there it is, eternal glory, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from such opposition, excuse me, such opposition from sinful men, so that you may not grow weary, and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted the point of shedding of blood. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Pray. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on the one who stood on truth. We fix our eyes on the one who relied on the Holy Spirit. We fix our eyes on the one who focused on eternal glory. 
And so wherever you are personally, wherever we are as the church of Jesus Christ, these are not the days to lose heart. (laughs) These are the days to take heart. And we could do that all the more by calling to mind truth and treasure, the treasure of the Holy Spirit and eternity. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this rich text. I pray that it continues to minister to our hearts, that we might leave this place with more heart. And whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, we might find that through our relationship with you, Jesus Christ, you can give us, in the midst of those circumstances, a power that is exceeding any power that we could ever conjure up in ourselves. And so we ask that you would help us depend upon the work of the Spirit, that you would do a new, fresh work in all of us. And Lord, we would see a new work be done through us, around us, in this church, and in this world. And it would all be to your glory as we await the day when we will gather in the heavens and be with you forever. May we never forget that hope and may we live in light of it in Jesus' name. Well, before we close out today's service, I just wanted to remind you about a few different things that are happening. We have a couple of small groups that are going on, um, so just check the SBC app. They're listed there and also on our website. Um, And small groups are just a great way that we can connect, belong, and plan for becoming more like Jesus. Also, there's another cool way of connecting that's available is Coffee with a Pastor. And on Wednesday at 4 p.m. at Journey's Coffee on Chadburn Road, both Pastor Gary and Pastor Matt will be available to meet with anyone here that would like to join them. Um, So if you'd like to get to know the pastors better or have any questions about the church or anything that you hear on Sunday mornings here, please feel free to stop by. Also, we'd like to invite you to join us again here tonight at 6.30. We are having a revival prayer. Um, We will worship God together through music and then humbly pray for revival in our church and in our homes, our community, and the world. And we'd just be honored to have you here partner in prayer with us. And then finally, we are going to worship God with our giving. And there are five different ways that you can give. You can also find these on our website, solanovalley.org forward slash giving. And it's important to know that when we give, we make eternal investments in building God's kingdom. And we can make an impact on the community for the sake of the gospel. Just thank you again for your generosity and worshiping God in this way. Thank you, Elsa. Church, let's stand and um, we're going to worship together with our with the closing song here. And I just want to say, Dave, thank you so very much for serving our church in this way and for faithfully preaching God's word for all of the work that you put into it. Um, I'm very grateful. So are you grateful for Dave Gudgel, everyone? Thank you so very much. And we look forward to having you back again, sir. Love awakens.
put our hands together, church, just like that. Yeah. There were walls. Let's sing, y'all. There were walls between us. By the cross you gave us, broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us. By your grace we are no longer bound. No longer bound. You called me out of the grave. You called me into the light. You called my name. My heart came alive. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. And feel the darkness shaking. Feel the darkness shaking. All the dead are coming back to life. Back to life. Hear the song awakening. All creation singing, we're alive. Cause you're alive. You call me out of the grave. You call me into the light. You called my name. Then my heart came alive. Hey! Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you everyone who's turning in online. It's a pleasure to be with you today. We'll see you next time.